everyone, welcome to Deep Focus. This is Quaid with my co-host Nick. What's going on, Nick? How's it going? Just got home from work, you know. Yes. And <laughs> we apologize. We're switching over to a once a week uh, recording now. Uh, we just wanted to start off with multiple episodes in the beginning. So you will get us about once a week now. Uh, on Monday, we'll release an episode for you. Um, and we're thinking, even though it's a little late and this stuff sort of happens in the Janu- January and February uh, cycle of the cinema calendar, we're going to do a best of 2019. Our personal best lists. I have like, I think, 15 films. And I think, Nick, you have 10. Yeah, I didn't get around to watching too many films last year. But, um, you know, I think that's how it kind of goes. Uh, it definitely depends people... on the year for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like this year is insane. Going. For 2020, you know, due to theaters being closed down, I think I've seen like less than 10 films that have been released, <laughs> technically released yeah. this year. Yeah, I think same. Well, I use Letterboxd and uh, soon enough we'll have both our Letterboxd uh, listed in the show notes of the podcast for you guys, but. What I like doing is I have two lists for each year and I call them 2019 uh, ephemeral and 2019 perennial or insert any year where you have 2019. And essentially ephemeral means the when I'm in that year, I rank the films as I'm watching them. And as soon as that year ends, I can no longer add any films uh, to that list. So if I missed a film, so, for example, like I didn't watch Dr. Sleep in 2019 when it came out in 2019. That mm-hmm. would only be able to be added to the perennial list. And then I never reorient my ephemeral list, which is the list, of course, that I only change and add to in that year. I just like that as a way of saying like the films I saw in that year, only that year. And also what I thought of them then. And then the perennial ones, the one I'll keep switching around to and adding to if I keep seeing films that came out that year. Yeah, I'm way less or- organized about it. I don't really like even keep lists, but I'll make lists. some. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite things about Letterboxd, which is any film person is beyond that really. Uh, it's just like the sheer amount of like user-created lists, and it's helped me uh, discover some pretty cool films to watch, stuff mm. like that. But yeah, so we do have our individual lists, and we're going to go over them film by film and sort of compare working up to number one of the year. And then when we're done with that, I have some other lists uh, from the internet, maybe like awards list and also some interesting ones I was able to find, like uh, uh, user rated uh, lists that are automatically generated on different like film sites. So we can sort of see what the general mood of this year was and go over everything and tear into it or agree. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, right, so- before we start, though. Yeah. Yeah. I have kind of a fun question. What do you think is a movie that you didn't see that you thought would be on your list for 2019? Because I have a few. uh, There's two of them. Damn. Uh, I didn't see Marriage Story. And there was another one I didn't see. I didn't see that one either. What are some of the ones? I feel like I'm spacing here. What is like... uh, Um, For me, um, Uncut Gems is probably the biggest one for me. I did see that. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. And I really wanted to. Um, but then probably the Irishman too. Okay. You know, Scorsese. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I also really like ethics. So, you know, yeah, I felt like that probably would have made my list. It was just so interesting uh, with that film as well, with the uh, release, the fact that it wasn't in any major theaters just cause you know, AMC right. and Regal don't really want to share space with mm-hmm. uh, Netflix. <laughs> right. Uh, any others? 
Uh, yeah, Marriage Story, uh, Jojo Rabbit. I didn't see oh, that yep. either. That's the same with me. I didn't see that. Um, but yeah, those were ones where I was like really, uh, I was like, damn it, I missed it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. That's why I keep these two lists, man. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. <laughs> um, yeah. And also like our philosophies for making lists and rankings aren't, aren't going to be the same. Um, for me, it really just comes down to personal taste, especially when you're talking about like the top 25 films of the year. You know, or it's even if it's smaller than that, like I'm doing 15, I think I think Nick's doing 10, you know, how you orient the top five, how you orient the top 10. Like, yeah, personally, for me, it's like taste is obviously king, Um, but I give I give movies a lot of brownie points for being really well made. Um, Agreed. And I actually have like when we start off here a second, like my 15th film is probably a little controversial, frankly, so here how about, know, if, why if, don't, if a film does something special yeah wait I, I, you know. I think I know what it is I think I know what it is okay well we'll let you guess in a second here okay cool um but why don't we start with your top or your bottom five on your 15 yeah and then, then I'll start off. jumping in at 10 yeah um but is can I guess uh it, yeah but for the audience real fast uh this is just a general spoiler warning we don't really know how deep we're gonna oh, go yeah. into these movies but just we case. will say the name of the movie first before we spoil anything. So if you're, yeah. you know, uh, but this is your warning right now. So yeah, be uh, beware ye who enter here. Um, <laughs> go ahead for my fifteenth. Is, is it um, Detective Pikachu? Oh, it's not, but that's oh. so close, <laughs> so close. No, okay. it is Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Okay, okay. Which is a film that I feel like was so close to being legendary you know i feel like there's so obvious just a few things there's a yeah. couple there was a couple like uh c storylines that could have been completely cut out and they could have just completely added more to that main storyline of yeah. finding his father but i really love this sort of like internal depressive drama like character discovery and sort of yeah. i really like watching quiet um uh, what i would call like uh quiet uh conclusions or cathartic moments um there's a lot of movies this way uh there's a there's a filmmaker he did the one uh the michael shannon movie about like he's essentially noah thinking like everything's gonna uh there's a great storm coming sure and he also did uh i think it's called midnight show or something uh but he's like a great connoisseur of like quiet conclusions quiet uh, climaxes okay and i think ad astra is like another one of those for me i think for ad astra the last um 30 minutes of that movie is brilliant yeah um which makes up for so much (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean for me it didn't make up enough um i am a huge huge believer in good exposition you know (laughs) and i i love when exposition is done really well um like a good example of this is uh zodiac which is basically just an expository movie all the way through yeah you know and it's so good like you can it's so fun to watch um but i think that was ad astra's big weakness was the way that they um did exposition Um, yeah there are some interesting moments especially with the guy that comes along with him and really doesn't seem to serve any purpose other than to tell them things at the right time. Right. But well, my there's major also issue with it the is in- just the yeah, fact that they had like random 
they had random events in the movie that didn't really have anything to do with the movie. No, like, see that, that was that, actually because of the exposition. Like they were well, finding entire... the monkey in the space. Like the whole monkey. Yeah, that was. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I think that, that was just like them breaking their uh, genre that they like. I felt like they were trying to get at something a little more symbolic, mm. um, but they weren't making a movie that like a film that was um, where, where that worked. Right. Sure. Like they presented this as a grounded sci-fi drama. Honestly, right. they didn't even need um, to add that much. If they just redid some of the exposition, I mean, the movie's 123 minutes. It could have been an hour and a half movie, frankly. Sure. Well, they and, cut and, out a lot. I feel like that's another thing. The movie doesn't even feel like, yes, there's definitely a lot you could say about actually changing it to make it better. But yeah. frankly, I could see this movie becoming a uh, great status just from cutting shit out, you know, as well. Yeah. Well, okay. So what I mean by exposition, though, is that I felt like... Um, whoever was in charge of writing the script for this movie um they didn't i I feel like they didn't really know how to do exposition well and their answer to that every single time was to add a plot line that would show that um exposition or like show that information about the world somewhere so you're literally just coming at the same issue from a different angle right right too many c plot lines and you're like there's so much exposition but but the the way they do it is by adding extra plot lines right well well, i mean like you you take the whole like doomsday thing at the beginning right with the with the like pulse that's you know short circuiting the emp pulse that's coming from the station yeah right and they're like it's a terrorist attack and like when you get there it all just amounts to a broken ship Right. And then they just completely forget about it. Right. So it didn't really have anything to do with the ending of the movie. The only purpose it served was to, like, uh, give us a reason for this guy to go on this mission. Yeah, it was a it was a bullshit inciting incident. Right. Yeah. Well, and it it was there was a lot of stuff like that where, like, the whole reason for something being in there was literally just to give us exposition about the world or the characters or, you know, like if the movie started from where um, uh, Brad Pitt was uh, taking that long journey, you know, and if he was like, I'm going to find my father on this space station and it was a 30 minute short film, it would have been a masterpiece. Right. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Almost like I'm I'm saying like it could have just been cut down. But the problem was they had to get them on him. They had to get him on that ship. Right. And I, I feel like it was just uh, this kind of random answer to um, how, how do we get him on that ship was, well, what if there was like a terrorist plot and, you know, the, there was this thing malfunctioning, but when he oh, gets yeah. there, it ends up just being like a broken ship. Yeah. And you even know? though some and, of these moments are cool, like the, the moon pirates and everything, it's like, how much of that do you actually need? It's just like, well, oh, we it, need more excitement right? for him to get across. Right. Well, this, and, and, and uh, the, area. The, the quick answer is none of it. Literally nothing before he get he gets on that ship going on that long journey by himself to, yeah. to meet his father. Nothing before that is important. Right. Yeah, it's the last maybe, 45 minutes. Yeah. Maybe, really maybe like a couple, um, a couple instances where we get some insight into his character, but, um, I, but I got to say, there's so much about this movie that I do love, even in like before the ending 45 minutes, like the tone they strike and the performance of Brad Pitt. And honestly, the dialogue that Brad Pitt has in its head uh, is so good. It's non-expository as well. 
and like the commentary he has, like the fact that yeah. there's McDonald's on the moon, you know, and it's like, you <laughs> really feel just how depressing that is for a moment. You're like, this is like, cause it's like, that's real. And you're like, Ad Astra sort of called it. Like we wouldn't be building some sort of great space civilization right now. We'd have fucking McDonald's on the moon. That's what we'd have. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I also really liked the sort of contrarian take of like at the end, you know, spoiler, but that, you know, there's no aliens. And we're actually all alone. And that actually ends his depression because it gives him a reason of going, oh, okay, this thing that I'm logging for, it's not there. So I have to make do with love, with what is, you know, and he rectifies yeah. his marriage and this sort of thing. So was, I love all this, of that, um, but you're right. It's plot, but plot is not king to me. And I feel like that's one of the reasons this still made it into my top 15 because as right, you know, right. For where me, like, plot I didn't is even like give this king for me. <laughs> I didn't even give this movie a like, Yeah, you know, <laughs> because like, for me, for me, that's a very important factor in being able to tell your message, you know, and like, I think if it was really just that last 45 minutes, they had a masterpiece on their hands. But um, yeah, they're so close. It's James I, I Gray like they were as well. Yeah, I feel like they were just they just clomped like four different movies into one movie. Uh, by the way, really Nick, relate. Yeah. What's up? Uh, your mic. I don't, are you like touching your mic when you're speaking into it? It's like it's like something like fabrics running up across your mic. Oh, sorry. No, that's actually just uh, that's actually the mic that you're hearing. I'm not actually. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm on two different mics. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I'm just um, making sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. No, I, I think I felt like it was just a couple of different movies and ideas for movies clumped together, and. Yeah. I kind of see that a lot with a director's first film. Even I did that, right? Yeah. Um, where you're kind of worried that this is going to be your only chance. So you, uh, you know, you stuff a whole bunch of shit into a movie. But it wasn't his first film. This is it wasn't? James okay. Gray, uh, who made the absolutely fantastic film, The Immigrant, 2013, okay. which you have to see. But he also made that film that both me and you which we should probably maybe even do an episode on, but we shouldn't talk about it right now. But he did The Lost City of Z, one oh, of the most okay. boring movies I've watched <laughs> in my entire life. That actually uh, so, that actually suffered from a similar problem. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and I it didn't have the good parts that this had. Also, uh, people a part of this movie is I suck at the saying this guy's name, but um, Hoyt Van Hoyera or Hoyt Tema. You know the uh, Nolan's new cinematographer who did Interstellar oh. and Dunkirk and Her oh. and Spectre. So, and T Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, you know, some amazingly shot movies and he's doing Tenet as well. So yeah. some really cool talent behind this movie, but we shouldn't stay on it forever. Yeah. So let's let's move, move on. on. Yeah. So do you want to try to guess my 14th then? Or uh, should I just it, say it? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. My 14th was uh, The Gentleman. Did you see I The Gentleman? I haven't seen that one. No. Okay. Well, the gentleman was Guy Ritchie's new movie, and all I can say is it's classic Guy Ritchie. It's not like he pushed oh, the envelope. Yeah, no, I saw trailers for that. I really wanted to see it. Yeah, it's just straight up classic British gangster Guy Ritchie, and I'm just so glad sitting there watching and being like, "There's yet another one of these that exists." I'm uh, I'm going to be mad right now if uh, critics gave that a good score. <laughs> of what not, they gave the gentleman a good score? Yeah, yeah. After they panned uh, King Arthur. Uh, I don't know what they gave it. I could look it up, but I'm just yeah, on Letterboxd. Go ahead. But... Go ahead. All right. I'll look it up. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I really liked it. I liked the cast and I liked that they had American actors in it as well. Yeah. Um, Gentlemen, Rotten Tomatoes, the hated site, site <laughs> of demons. Uh, let's see. It is. 
taking forever to load up. It's 75% for okay. critics and 84% for audience. Audience matters more. So, yeah. Um, but no, no, I mean, for critics, though, like the thing about Guy Ritchie is that he never, I, I shouldn't say he never changes the style, but I feel like he is one of those people who has this evolving style, you know, like Tarantino or Wes Anderson. And, uh, yeah. And that style kind of follows him through movies. He doesn't really like change it up between movies, you yeah. know? Um, and like, I was b- getting so pissed off watching King Arthur. Uh, sorry, not watching King Arthur, but reading the reviews for King Arthur after I watched it. Um, because they were all like just ragging on his <laughs> style, you know? Yeah. And, and it's I'm like, like, it's the same you, thing. Yeah. I'm <laughs> you like, love did you guys, style. did you guys give Snatch? <laughs> A good score. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> if you did, you know, like just the hypocrisy. It's yeah. Um, it's insane. Which I mean, just they to gave clarify, it a 31%. King Arthur got a 31%. However, the audience score is high. 69%. Yeah, so that's good. Um, that's what really just matters. Just to clarify, like I love King Arthur and I think it's one of his best movies. And I think it actually uses his style very well. Yeah. But, you know, you have to understand that you're going in to watch a Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, but, back to the gentleman. All I yeah. can say about this is if you watch Snatch or Lock, Stock and Smoking Barrels or Two Smoking Barrels and Rock and Rolla, you've seen this movie before and arguably all three of those are better. However, it's still so good that, you know, it beats out the rest of the year, you know, for the 14th <laughs> spot, in my opinion. It's just, a you know, a return to form. It's just like, oh, I just get to watch the classic Guy Ritchie film. Because, I mean, in a sense, I feel like his films are what people think about when they think about the British gangster film. And oftentimes when you watch newer British gangster films, they're like Guy Ritchie, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So even I would would say done by either him or Matthew Vaughn. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Matthew Vaughn. Matthew Vaughn is like his protege or like his best friend. I'm not sure, but yeah. So, but yeah, I think, I think Guy Ritchie is actually a pretty underrated director. Um, Kind of in the same vein of uh, what's his face. Edgar Wright, where, you know, people you love their Edgar movies. Wright's undirected? <laughs> underrated, yeah. Well, I think by critics, right? Um, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I think he's pretty beloved. Maybe. Um, I feel like, yeah. Well, I just feel like his name doesn't come up that often when people are talking about uh, That's like true. master directors, you know? That's and definitely I, true. I, I think it's because he makes mostly comedy. Yeah. You know? Um, that definitely does it. It's just like a it's a dumb genre convention that cr- critics just think that some genres are inherently better than others. Yeah, and, and I and, you know I sympathize with a, a little bit of that thinking in the sense like is it is a, has a comedy made me feel the way the king does you know, but I don't think that um you can you know that you can uh, disregard an entire director or a film because it's a comedy. You know? Well, I think it's that it makes you think differently than the King does. You know? Exactly. It um, doesn't inspire the same feeling of greatness. Like a person, if they were giving a speech, you know, how are they going to make you feel great and willing to do it's, great it's sacrifice? Like, it's it's like not going to be by cracking um, <laughs> jokes. You know? It's like comparing uh, Martin Luther King to like uh, George Carlin. Exactly. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, both are masters at what they do, you know, um, and it's just, yeah, it, it's a very, it's a very different type of speech, you know, and you can't really rate one above the other, but you can kind of like, um, say that they're both masters in what they do. Right. And I think it's the same with, um, it's the same with, uh, sorry, let me silence my phone here. Uh, it's the same with movies, right? Because you get, 
uh, people like uh, Guy Ritchie, you get people like um, Edgar Wright. And I feel like critics just kind of are like, oh, they're fun movies. And they don't really they don't see how much effort and like expert craftsmanship was put into uh, designing those films. True. You know, um, like watching any of any of Guy Ritchie's movies or Edgar Wright's movies is a treat. And once you start seeing how much how much effort is put into every single scene, uh, you know, it's always awesome. And it's so. interesting that we're thinking about them, because when you go over the editors, you have James Herbert, which is, of course, the standard Guy Ritchie editor. He's been with them since uh, Rock and Rolla. Yeah, but, I think that's his. Uh, but you also have Edgar Wright's one of his recent editors that did Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and the World's End. Yeah. So definitely yeah. all in the same vein there. Slightly humorous, action-oriented movies. Right. Right. All right. Well, yeah. should I do number 13? On Go ahead. 13? So this is a blast from the past from my childhood. Uh, Nick guessed it earlier. It is Detective <laughs> Pikachu. This uh, movie is great. I've seen this one so too. It's so good. It's so good. And I was a huge... I had like binders on binders of Pokemon cards when I was a kid and I played almost all the games and I still play some of the games to this day. But um, I really don't watch like I stopped really watching kids animated movies a few years ago and I really want to start watching them again. But for whatever reason, I really just lost the desire to and I want to get back into it. But this is like the first one I've seen in a few years, really. Yeah. And, and they, it was just did, so good. They did such a good job. And like this is another problem with western critics is that they they don't i feel like they critique children's movies at the same um like unless they're disney or or like pixar yeah. they critique children's movies at the same um like with the same lens that they do uh like adult movies yeah you know and and there's so many critics on rotten tomatoes and stuff that just talk about how like you know how unprofound it was and i'm like yeah, what's it's the, obviously yeah. a simple <laughs> insight. Like, they, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> you know, they they executed the it really with well. Critics um, is they realize whether or not they have it that they're tastemakers, and part of their judgment is taste. Now, that's a correct assumption on their part, whether or not they actually have taste. But what they don't think about is that you need to judge the movie with your taste, within the lens of what it was trying to achieve in the first place. You know, so you can't, you know, hold Detective Pikachu. Uh, against it the fact that it didn't achieve an insight uh, to the level of something like the king you know right so well i think but, i think that's why that's why how good a movie is should always be based on the uh motivation of the director right kind of like yeah what they were trying to achieve and how well they achieved it not what you think they should have been trying to achieve yeah you know um yeah. Rob Letterman, the director of it, uh, did Shark Tale and Monsters vs. Aliens as well. Okay. And also the recent uh, sort of kid horror Goosebumps movie, which I never watched, uh, 2015 version. Sure. So very interesting filmography. I haven't really noticed him until now, uh, but I will say the cinematographer on it, believe it or not, is John Matheson, who did Gladiator and Logan and The Man from Uncle and King Arthur. And Robin Hood and Kingdom Heaven, essentially a lot of, uh, damn, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name now, uh, Ridley Scott movies, as well mm -hmm. as some Brian Singer ones. And uh, forget who did uh, Logan. It's uh same guy who did the, the previous Wolverine movie, right? Yeah, James Mangold. 
Mm. So pretty good. Uh, and that's definitely one thing I focused on was like the CG in this movie was on another level. Just the way they designed the CG. Uh, oh, yeah. It was really refreshing to see something with such a fresh sort of way of how they did the computer generated uh, graphics and everything. Uh, and also, I got to I got to say, I really did like Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu and that one scene <laughs> where he's seeing the Pokemon theme. But all yeah. sadly, you know, yeah. I just loved it so much. And I definitely after watching this movie, I made a note to like it's someday rewatch all the Pokemon movies in order, you know, because I sure. used to do that. I used to go to the AMC theaters to watch the Pokemon movies when they came out. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyways, you yeah. have anything else to say about Tonight to Pikachu? Um, honestly, not really. Uh, it was just really well done. Uh, but yeah. I, I guess I wasn't as much of a Pokemon fan as you were. Like I played Pokemon Red on the Game Boy. Yeah, but that was that was about it. I had um, my first Pokemon game was Pokemon Yellow, and it was a Game Boy Color cartridge, and the save function was broken in the cartridge. Okay. So I could never save the game, and so I would always Dang. be doing these marathons, almost like pre. <laughs> Uh, speed running marathons yeah, yeah. i'm like how far can i get an hour in the game can i get two hours in the game before right. i have to turn it off and then eventually um, i got a natural cartridge so that's good i i actually i think i had that one too but i had it in uh japanese and i couldn't read japanese so you know i got rid <laughs> of all of my pokemon cards but i saved a few i just don't know where they are but i have some like incredibly rare cards i have like a a shiny japanese charizard Oh. And I'm like, holy shit, that's like worth, I think, a couple hundred dollars. And I need to find it somewhere, but I yeah. lost it. Yeah. Um, All right. Cool. Next one. Next one. Uh, Nick is, I saw the trailers for this one and I was thinking it was going to be a piece of dog shit. And then I went and saw it with Nick and it actually was pretty goddamn amazing. And it is Alita Battle Angel. Number 12. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that so, one's so actually I have that one in my list too. How should we do this? Like just say where that is on my list? Uh no, we can just uh I was just thinking we could just come to it when when you're doing yours. Okay, and cool. Then we'd probably just go over it quickly. You sure. can give your reason for putting it where it is and then we just go. Sure. So, so should we just skip over it now? Yeah, well, I'll just say what I want to say and then uh sure. you can just say what you want to say. But I just gotta say the trailers for this were incredibly horrible and they made it look so weird. I was like, this is so weird. He's building this robot girl and the CG didn't come across in the trailer as well. And I was just like, she's got these big eyes. I don't like it. And, uh, and then we, this is actually my first experience in a Dolby theater as well, which is superior to IMAX. Mm. Um, I sat down and I watched and it was like, this just really endearing tale. Uh, and I actually really liked how they did the world building and the animation and the character. And like the story was solid. And I just got a big, like big props to Robert Rodriguez. He's like, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it, but it's like, sometimes he hits the ball in the park and sometimes he completely messes. It's crazy. But I think he just has fun. <laughs> yeah, but he does. One, one thing that I want to say about this is I think one of the best reasons, one of the, one of the best decisions of this movie, I think it was James Cameron who produced it. Right. Yeah. Um, but one of his best decisions was uh, bringing Robert Rodriguez on. And I think it's because it's so we actually talked about uh, Edge of Tomorrow a while ago. Right. Um, and we yeah. were talking about how that was one of the best uh, manga to like Western film film adaptations. Yeah. And I think this is the one that beats it. 
right? Because yeah. I think it walks that line so perfectly. And uh, like Robert Rodriguez is the guy to pick to do that because he brought, I think because of Sin City, right? Because he made a book, or sorry, he made a movie that was like, that took this comic book style and brought it to uh, film and brought it to film very successfully. Yeah. You know, I think him and uh, Zack Snyder are sort of unmatched so far in doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think I personally think that uh, Robert Rodriguez is like. It, it was the perfect choice for this. Yeah. And, um, and Robert Rodriguez has a track record of amazing kids movies like Spy Kids. The amount yeah. of times I watched the first Spy Kids as a kid uh, is insane. Probably like yeah. over 20 times. I can still imagine those like thumb people. I mean, this yeah. definitely wasn't a kid's movie, but. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah. sort of a kid's movie. It's more like a preteen or teenager, you know. Sure, way. sure. Young but, adult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's move on to the next one, though. We'll yeah. talk about that one more later. Uh, the next one is uh, it was sort of a fulfillment. I didn't even realize this was coming out for a long time. And then I watched it like a few months after it actually came out. And that is the Breaking Bad movie, El Camino, that follows Jesse. Aaron Paul's oh, cool. character. I haven't seen that one yet, actually. Um, well, I won't spoil it for you, but it was a great send off of like what happened to Aaron Paul. And essentially it just chronicles to like the two or three days after he, uh, after literally the ending of breaking bad where, uh, uh, where he gets broken out. Yeah. And uh, literally what he has to do, because obviously he's a, he's a felon on the run and the police don't know that he's been, you know, a slave for like a year or so. Right. So, it's really interesting and it definitely gives you closure on that character and it's really good and it's really tight as well, I should say. Nice. It's 123 minutes, but that two hours go by super fast. And yeah. uh, it's just great. Like in terms of like a like a fulfillment of the series to see where this character ends up and uh, sort of the flashbacks as well that cover sort of his period as a slave. So yeah, I don't have much more to say that than other than Vince Gilligan shed make some more movies you know he directed yeah. this so and i was like holy shit man vince gilligan should direct more movies <laughs> I've, I've always really liked his style um yeah i've rewatched breaking bad i think about three times now so really nice yeah. it's one of those shows where it's like if i have nothing else to watch it's like should yeah. i rewatch breaking bad again i definitely binged it all the way through um yeah yeah i didn't really need to stop for that one all right well I don't have much more else to say about that, but I'm about to hit number 10. You started off. You want to get right. me your number 10? Yeah. Okay. So for me, it was um, kind of a tie between Midsummer and Frozen 2. Oh, wow. <laughs> Neither of those are my list. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't um, see Frozen 2. So so Frozen 2, I liked. Um, Midsummer, I hated. Yeah. But Midsummer is so well made. It's just evil. Um, this is the this is my belief about this film. It's evil. <laughs> it's literally yeah. evil, but it's amazingly yeah. well made. Yeah, and I don't know. I I don't know if the point of the movie, like I, I'm not sure if it was insight based filmmaking, but I would agree that if if it was, it is evil. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, if this well, they have some sort of message, whether or not they're going to do it in the same way that you do right, well, right, and they will no matter what, right? But it, yeah. it is one of those movies that just makes you feel sick, and it's not the uh, it's not the uh, like parts that are intended for that. It's kind of how everything just ends up, right? Like when you when you see things that are shocking in the movie, like gory things or 
you know, people dying. Yeah, the stuff horror like that. element of it. That's is not, not the thing that makes you sick. right. Right, it's, it's literally the, what it's getting at. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, which I, I guess, you know, let, let's just make it midsummer. Um, as my number ten there. Um, okay. I, I think it's I think too. it's fair because I think Midsummer deserves to be higher up on my list. Um, well, it's not but, high up on mine. I'll tell everyone that it's number twenty one on my list. So yeah, um, yeah. it's just I hated every second watching this movie. Um, I gotta say, I didn't hate it immediately, but uh, that initial the opening is insane. Like that first five minutes is so good in terms right. of just gripping you and making well, you feel I guess, dread. Like dread's I, such I hate a powerful it. emotion that film rarely yeah. captures, and that opening sequence is just ugh. Yeah, well, and I think, yeah, yeah. But I, I think, like, what I mean by I hated every minute of it is, like, I, I usually reserve judgment while I'm watching movies. Um, yeah. And I'll kind of try to go in as empty as possible. Um, So I, I didn't judge it until the end. But then upon reflection, you know, thinking about the whole movie again, I just despised the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I get what you mean. Like, yeah. And there was definitely parts of that movie, like, when the guy jumps off the cliff and then they kill him. Because that's yeah. the ritual that you're like, oh, wow, that was done so well. And you yeah, know, that's definitely how I was thinking about it. But when you start getting towards what the movie is getting at, you just can't like these characters and you can't like any idea, any attempt at trying to systematize it and produce a message or an insight. Or well, theme. I mean, it, it's getting at uh, it's getting at trying to uh, uh, almost like not confronting the. Uh, it's almost like escape, right? It's it's about like not confronting your issues, just like you yeah. know, <laughs> just like you can murder someone and then giving just sort in, of do a dance right. about it. Well, and it's be like fine. it's like giving in. To, Isn't that more healthy? <laughs> it's like losing your your self sense of individuality, giving in to like escape from the problems of the world, you know. And yeah. it's like it's such a despicable yeah. movie, you know. Like I I would yeah. never. I would never give that advice to anyone. Yeah, this pagan you know? cult is not something to be admired whatsoever. And yet at the end of it, like our main character, the girl, is like part of the cult after she murders her boyfriend. Right. And, and you're like, and what the movie ends on is, it's, I think it's more of a question. And maybe this is also a reason we don't sort of like it is he wants you to like, like is this good right. or well, bad? Right, right. But like he portrays it in no way that... uh you know, he well, doesn't really have a counterbalance to it. To and I, th- I think if you if you say that, though, like, isn't the answer just like, no shit, it's bad? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, <laughs> like you, exactly. you only have to think about it for a couple seconds. Like, we don't go around looking at cults in the world thinking, wow, that's a really good, uh, you know, I really like how they use people. And, uh, yeah. you know, like how they just fucking murder people. Yeah. And there's another thing, like the fact that you can't like her either. She's like really unredemptive whatsoever because he actually does the right thing. Which is like when her family gets fucking murdered in a murder suicide by her crazy sister, uh, he doesn't break up with her, and it's like I, that's the right thing. If like you have a girlfriend right. and her family gets murdered, it's like okay, maybe you were there for a month, you know? You're, right. You stay. You're you're about to break up with her. It's like okay, you wait for the funeral and you give it another two weeks, you know? Sure. But um, it, but at, the thing is, like, he should have broken up with her before taking her on a fucking trip. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that she should just fucking kill him. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and uh, the thing is, and I, I guess, like, what we're kind of getting at with this movie, and like, 
we're not saying that this movie is bad because of this, right? It's very well made. Yeah, very, it's well. very, very well made. But like, um, it, it's it's almost like uh, well, the arguments being presented, and I think the argument could be made that the filmmaker thinks that this is bad and this is a criticism of this kind of behavior, right? Yeah, but it's not. If if that's the case, that wasn't presented clearly at all. Um, in the language of the like music, in the language of the editing, um, it seems to almost present these traits um, of kind Positive. of like giving into this cult um, as almost heroic. You know? Yeah, but that's how I feel. I feel um, like the message of the film is like, wouldn't it be better if everyone dealt with grief this way? Which right. is sort you know, and it's like sort of sick. It's like, yeah, literally just, you know, if you're just willing to like run around and scream for a little while on drugs you can deal with the fact that you murdered someone and it's not a big deal. You know, you can deal right. with the fact that your elderly commits suicide and you hammer on their heads and it's not a big deal. And it's like, no, that's pretty sick and disgusting. And you do really end up with the message at the end. It's not, it can be interpreted as a question, but it definitely feels like a definitive statement. Like, wouldn't it be better if we all <laughs> dealt with like grief and love and hatred and all these things in a different way and violence in a different way, you know? And I, I do want to also say that it could just be the case that um, the filmmaker just presented it poorly and, uh, and it was supposed to be a question or, you know, he was supposed to be disparaging of this kind of behavior. Um, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it <laughs> too, know? dude, because um, he has a pattern now hereditary. Uh, you know, Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a good friend, a cinematographer. Yeah uh he hates that movie not because once again it's a bad movie because actually it's incredibly well made but like literally is the first horror movie uh that i've seen out of all the horror movies i've seen because horror movies are actually pretty like black and white movies where good triumphs and evil is like vanquished you know right hereditary is the first one where like evil triumphed and at the very end well not have you seen hereditary well that i've seen i'm saying okay okay yeah yeah but have you have you uh seen hereditary I actually haven't yet. I was so okay, well, turned off by the trailer. All I'll just say is <laughs> evil triumphs in the end. And yeah, I bet. It's yeah. pretty fucking disgusting. And so, and he, like, he just left him with like a feeling of evil. And I was like, yeah. Right. I can't really argue with that because at the end of the day, like nothing, what, what's the message in that movie other than like, oh, the cult wins and people get sacrificed so that a demon can come out of hell. You know? And it, like, right. I guess the message is supposed to be about like, trans like the title hereditary and about like the sins of the the grandmother and the mother and what happens to the children and this sort of thing this comment on like family trees and family in general but it all just sort of gets lost in the way he presents these messages which have like this overwhelming like uh like vibration of sort of right. disgusting evil <laughs> yeah oh and i want to pause here for a second and uh address the audience really quick this is exactly why we don't uh we won't do reviews or analysis of movies we didn't like because i don't know if you can tell but we're already almost like we, we can't really tell whether the director is doing a good job or not um because we disagree so hard with what he was trying to say yeah you know um yeah we'll see it's very rarely ever even to attempt and that's right well we and i think we're doing a, doing a movie right and uh, i think we're doing an okay, okay job at being objective about it. You know, we're not yeah. saying that the movie's horrible um, or anything like that, but yeah. it, it's, 
it's we're just one of those evil. things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, um, uh, we're so tame, so uh, middle-minded. Yeah. But anyways, um, that's why we generally only do movies we like. And if we're doing a review or an analysis on a movie, it's because we love it and we definitely recommend it. You know. Yeah. Um, the only way that uh, that would end up happening if, is uh, we end up watching a movie really last minute and we have to struggle through a, a review. <laughs> but uh, I don't think that will happen for a long time. Yeah. It does. Um, anyways, uh, what's your number? We 10? should move on. Oh, uh, yeah. My number 10 is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. That's a, Tarantino's. you know what? Actually, right here, I'm just going to jump in and say that's my number seven. Okay. Sweet. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was really good. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I really liked it because it was, in many ways, a change of form for Tarantino, in my opinion. Like, yeah, he sort of established a thing that he was doing with Inglorious Bastards, and he sort of did that for three movies. And right. uh, he he evolved again with this movie, and I really liked it. I liked how it wasn't slow in the sense that it felt slow, but I liked how it was sort of meditative. You were sort of just there watching the characters live their lives. And like the plot was actually very, it was there, but it was actually like a very thin uh, element of the, of the movie. And uh, I, I just really enjoyed watching the characters living through these different moments. And the climax was fucking fantastic. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I really felt this, like this movie was, um, it had so much nostalgia in it for like, not, not in the terms of like trying to get nostalgia from us, but I felt like Tarantino was having like a nostalgia trip while he yeah. was making it. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I did well, also feel like it was maybe his most egotistical movie that he's okay. made so far. Um, particularly in his portrayal of Bruce Lee. He, he was trying to like def- defend that <laughs> really hard. And like a lot of people attacked Bruce him about Lee it. <laughs> well, no, uh, but I think it's also like kind of, it's kind of a dick move to like pick on someone who can't fight back because they're dead. You know, <laughs> sure. I mean, I don't think um, he's trying to pick on him, but you're right. He's a little uh, he's so confident that he's lost a little bit. Well, of that's what I mean awareness. is like it was it was this like very egotistical move. Like, I don't think he was trying to pick on him either, but I felt like he views himself as being bigger than Bruce Lee right now. And I think that's just wrong on many levels. Um, but it's also one of those things where like Bruce Lee is an, an iconic uh, like an iconic figure for just humans in general right yeah and he he promotes so much good in the world uh just with his legacy yeah right and like personally i feel like it is like it is the artist's job right to almost uh like especially when you, you have the status of tarantino right um when you're someone who has that kind of um uh power behind your word right um to use it to tear down like tear down something that's iconic for people that that, like helps them do good things you know and to sow doubt into their mind about it even if it's just supposed to be like a fun little thing sure you know it's like that to me was just a total uh a total ego trip you know sure and he i, I mean i, I like can he, see that i don't yeah. take it as seriously as that i thought the scene was i thought the scene was pretty well done and fun i didn't think like he was i don't think he pissed on bruce lee you know watching the scene but uh, i get it you know, well i think i think he thought of it better. as uh i think he thought of it as trying to um 
like uh make cliff seem more macho you know um but he basically made bruce lee come off as this like arrogant ass who is like full of hot air you know (laughs) and couldn't really stand up to his own word right sure i mean Um, yeah there was part of that i could see that but i mean well and you know it's it's the falsehood of it right he was he was pointing at it and being like it's false and like I feel like it's one of those things which pointing back to the king with the whole magnificent lie thing, right? Even if it was false and even if he knew that it was false, right? What good does it do to the world by admitting that? Yeah. You know, nothing. The noble lie. Yeah. <laughs> and like as as a filmmaker, like your whole career is based on the noble lie, right? Yeah. Like as a storyteller, we use lies to find the truth and that's something that we should understand. Sure. You know, and like... I just I I, this has always been my problem with Tarantino films is that like he he always lets his ego almost uh, dwarf his film right his film almost comes second to him yeah no it's definitely you know the eighth Quentin Tarantino film at the the beginning of the movie you know right that is that is part of it you know he you know right that's always been the attraction of uh tarantino is well, he's part of the show i've also noticed the pattern with his movies where all of his best movies are the first time that he steps into a new genre and like this right <laughs> and yeah. inglorious bastard and Django, right <laughs> i feel like Django um, was a continuation of uh inglorious bastards well but like you know he hasn't he hadn't done a western before that's true right and like going into it i feel like there's i i think the counteract actor to uh ego is usually fear Right. So when he comes comes in and steps into the unknown, right, something that he's never done before, he has a healthy amount of fear going into it and um, at least enough to uh, curb his ego a little bit, you know, and it allows it allows the film to shine more. But then, like every time he he revisits the genre or continues on a genre, it ends up, you know, he ends up eclipsing his own film again. Um, And, you know, like it's one of those things where. Like, I'm not saying he shouldn't. You know, because Tarantino films are always fun, you know? Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, we've talked about this before, how it's the classic film school answer to who's your favorite director. Yeah. You know, like every every kid that's new to film, you know, who's fresh off the boat coming into film school yeah. is like Tarantino. He's talking about Tino. You know, yeah. um, probably because it's it's so obviously meta that, you know, you know, yeah, it's so you know that he's self-aware. Right. Yeah. Like, you know that he's self-aware because he literally slaps you in the face with the uh, uh, figurative dead fish of self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and it's like you said, it's just so much fun. Right. And, um, and I always love watching his movies, but um, at the same time, it's his own ego that comes back. And I think that's why, like even though this movie was good and did end up on my top 10 and actually ended up higher than yours on my top 10. Yeah. Um, I actually would put it pretty low on his, on his, his overall. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. When I'm thinking about his movies, it's like, I really like the kill bills. I really like Pulp yeah. Fiction. I like Reservoir Dogs. And I like Inglorious Bastards and the rest are sort of like, yeah, I could leave them or two. Yeah. And Django too, for me, but like, it's all, it's all his first movies in a genre. Right uh sort of i don't i don't know i mean reservoir dogs and pulp fiction are pretty similar in terms of genre and crime film i guess but, that's true. uh 
I think it's really just a different phase, you know, like when you Reservoir Dogs is his first attempt and then sort of the second movie right after that is another phase. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily yeah, a genre. Well, I, and I would his say... style's so overwhelming that you can't even though you're right that he is doing a different genre when he goes from Inglorious Bastards to Django, it's still so incredibly similar in terms of the way how his style dominates that right that those two films, you know, and it's like his style evolves. And that's one of the things, once again, bring it back to this film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, that I mentioned at the beginning is I just really liked how he sort of quieted himself. And then at the very end, he let out, you know, the violence. Right. So, right. But Which Robert Tarantino Richardson, violence man, is always fun. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> always so much fun. Robert Richardson yeah. is such a good uh, cinematographer. I feel like he's mm -hmm. so underrated, like in a sense, everyone always talks about other cinematographers and very few people bring up Roger, Robert Richardson who is like a Tarantino's cinematographer and he does like most of Scorsese stuff as well. Oh, really? So, yeah. Okay. And he does, he's done, a, uh, some of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Oliver, Oliver, what? Hmm. Uh, Oliver Stone. That's right. Okay. So, but anyways, uh, I will say that the fact that, you know, the, what, like I was saying earlier, the, the plot is so thin in this movie. And that doesn't mean that I don't mean thin in a bad way. I just mean like you're really just sort of marinating in these moments with characters. And like there's this little thread of plot that lets it all link up at the very end, you know? Yeah. And I really enjoy just marinating and that and the nostalgia with these characters. And if I remember right, he talked about how it was sort of about this idea of like if the tough guys from the 1950s and 60s could have saved the glory days of the 1970s because right. he's rewriting history here as he likes to do. I you love know. that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. Alternative uh, history. Yeah, it's fun. I think Inglourious Bastards is my favorite of his movies. Um, yeah, it's very good. I think it's for me that in Pulp Fiction Compete, I had an amazing double feature day once with a friend where we watched Pulp Fiction and then Seven by David Fincher back to back. Mm. And I was just like, these two movies are so fucking good. They're going to stay with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, uh, let's move on to number nine. You want to give your number nine? Sure. Uh, so mine was John Wick 3. Okay. Yeah. John Wick was number 16 on my list. So it just barely didn't make it on. Nice. Nice. Go for yeah. it. Uh, I just think this whole series is really fun. Um, yeah. And obviously, so uh, I think, what did it start with? Uh, the Raid, this kind of new style of uh, action where uh, the cinematography almost follows it. Right? Sure. Um, and it took Hollywood by storm after it happened. Um, I remember everybody talking about it after that film came out. And um, John Wick was one of the... Uh, and by the way, uh, I just want to say that the raid guys were in this movie, right? Every time, <laughs> like, uh, you, you'll see a lot of homage. Well, the director the was uh, was like a, a stunt sort of, he's sort of like an actor, but he's like an actor in terms of like fighting movies, right? Like his name's right. uh, Chad okay. Stileski, and he did Viva Vendetta and Matrix and awesome, these other awesome. things. Yeah. Um, which Matrix, you know? Because uh, I think the, John Woo uh, was the first one. He's in The Matrix Revisited, which is, uh, I think, a documentary. So I think he's okay. literally just a, uh, like, a connoisseur in, of Yeah, action. stuntman. Yeah. Well, so he was just in The Matrix somewhere. So I think action is maybe one of, maybe the most underrated, uh, like, uh, department 
in all of film um in hollywood at least sure um and i don't mean like in terms of production because obviously they sink tons of money into the action of every movie but um but in terms of uh you know they don't even have a award for best stunt or anything yeah um and i've heard that it's because they don't want to promote um productions to do more dangerous stunts uh just to you know (laughs) yeah that's the reason yeah (laughs) (laughs) such a bullshit Um, but i like that they act like that shit's controversial you know right i don't feel like people would be devastated over stuntmen dying you know like obviously you'd be devastated if it was prior production or if you knew them but like i feel like stuntmen know what they're getting in to and they want to do it you know what i mean well it's a high-risk job yeah they're like Like, daredevils you know what i mean like they want to do this stuff it's not like they're being forced at the point of a gun to jump i also think that it's uh it's it depends on the stunt person um there's a lot of stunt people that just do like you know the fights and stuff and i don't think they're any less uh i I would say i I remember talking like watching behind the scenes of true survivor yeah that mark Wahlberg military movie and like these stunt guys that were literally like so hyped to do it and they were like right. jumping off cliffs and hitting rocks with their bare bodies like 20 <laughs> feet down and you know, they were like oh fuck i just dislocated something that's so fucking awesome you know <laughs> and it's like that's cool you know what i mean like yeah well they I, know what they're doing so sure sure um but i think when it comes to action choreography i think it should be respected in the same vein as dance choreography right sure. um it's so similar and i think it it's more precise and usually it's more prevalent as well you know right. what i mean um so. and like these people like dancers practice their entire lives to be able to do what they do you know yeah and uh we, we I, I feel like it's just one of those things that's again invisible because uh honestly it's i think it's because of how uh the western world views violence right they they see it as this like all they, they see it as this one dimensional thing, right? Where when you go into the East and you look at it, um, it's, uh, it's almost baked into philosophy, right? Um, so when you look at Eastern films and you see their action, their, their action is almost as, uh, complex and nuanced as actually it is as complex and nuanced as any sort of, uh, dialogue scene, Right. Yeah. Um, and that's there's so much detail in it, and you can write so much with good action. And I think John Wick was one of the um earlier uh movies to adopt that in John Wick One, right? Was one of the earlier movies to adopt that in the West af- right after the raid showed us how, you know, we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And the it's so cool to see uh a stunt man take over and do this trilogy. And yeah, do it so well as well, you know. Yeah, and it's also loosely uh, inspired by one of my favorite books of all time, Shibumi. Oh yes, um, you've talked about this. Yeah, um, I personally think that he focused on the more superficial elements of Shibumi, um, such as like who the character is and where he exists in the world. And just a brief overcat overview of Shibumi. Uh, it's a uh, story about the world's most uh dangerous and highly paid assassin who's being uh who's in retirement and is brought out of retirement by the cia kind of you know fucking with his life 
Sure. Um, and and they immediately regret it by their like senior members recognizing who he is. They start telling people that, you know, they made a big mistake, you know, um, and he goes through like he goes through the world of like, um, you know, the covert the covert underworld, right, of spies and assassins. He moves through this with ease in the book, right? Sure. Because everyone respects him. Everyone knows who he is. Everybody doesn't want to be on the wrong side of him, right? Um, and it's a very, very good book. But um, in the book, the first, uh, I would say, two-fifths of the book, you know, is uh, CIA briefing on his childhood. Right. And you don't actually meet him in person until the final act. Oh, that's cool. Um, and we should save all this for the uh, the actual John Wick episode. <laughs> are we going to do it? Well, I think <laughs> no. if we do one, we should do all three. But honestly, yeah, I'm almost I done. agree. <laughs> you know, maybe we shouldn't even do one. But uh, basically, uh, that's the whole point of the, or that's the plot of the book. But the whole point of the book is kind of this journey uh, into finding inner peace. Right. And he has this kind of like, he has this kind of uh, philosophical outlook on why he does the things that, that he does. And he's, uh, th- the book's trying to explain the reason why he's so far above us and sure. the reason why he's such a different man, not kind of just ending with like, hey, look how badass he is, you know, which I think is where kind of John Wick kind of ends. And it, it sort of touches, John Wick sort of touches yeah. on it with like the dog, the first one. Well, right. yeah, I think the first one's probably the best one so far. I think the, right. the I third think so one too. is second best. Yeah. Uh, that's my number one issue with that movie and some of the other movies you're talking about, like the first raid, not the second raid, but yeah, is that there is a, a repetitive quality. Even when I was watching the third one, like after a certain while, these like 10 minute fight scenes, you know, you start to, you it, can zone it might a little be, bit. It might be like literacy a in it, little though. too much. It might be literacy in it, though. because it, It's some of that. Uh, I'm sure if you're literate, you like it, but it is a matter of taste at some point as well, where it's like, it, you know, you can, uh, you I can mean, watch the same thing uh, so many I, times and you can watch it and say like, oh, okay, well, he's that, learning that's, now. That's the difference, and right? Is, he's learning now. And so now he's going to uh, make this different move and then he lands a blow and then they sort of change positions and they do a repetitive back and forth again and try you know, a new thing on this blow and so on and so forth. You don't really see that in John Wick as much. Like I, John I think Wick, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think, I, I think it has, it entirely has to do with literacy, right? Because I, I think when you're not literate in those things, it's one of those things where in films, like you, like they, they go no matter what, like you're not going to, you're not going to be able to um, stop it when you were in a theater. Right. Well, with John but, Wick, it's not even necessarily that because each move he's making is, uh, he's essentially killing people, probably 90% of the people that he's killing, he's killing in one or two moves, you know. And, sure. Uh, so he's not repeating things. And when he is fighting people, they don't really repeat their moves. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like the raid in that sense. So there's definitely a different thing, you know. But right. I'm just well, saying I mean, the it suffers raid is, a little bit from the same thing the, the raid first is raid far suffers, for, suffers from what they're doing. Then the second raid suffers from, which is that you know in that third i especially think about the third movie when they have the dogs running around and they're sh- they're in that shootout with the dogs yeah running around like after a certain point like i can only be like sort of uh surprised by a dog biting someone and killing them for the 15th time you know what i mean so sure. i just felt like it would have just been a little better if they had actually just cut down their action scenes some of them a little bit but um they're still amazing i still yeah. love this trilogy well i th- i think the third one is 
weaker than the first one, definitely. And yeah, the all first of them are weaker so than the raid. Right. Um, the raid two, especially raid two. Is so good. Yeah. Um, well, and when you, when you look at those movies, you have people that are truly literate in, uh, combat. Right. And when you watch in the raid two, there's the whole kitchen fight scene at the end. Th- that fight is more complex than a lot of really, really good dialogue scenes by master directors, you know? Sure. And yeah, I agree with that. And it's not repetitive either. Right. Um, where, which proves sort of my point, which is, oh, like and, you don't and have to when I'm saying literacy, I also mean the literacy of the people involved in the film as well. Right. It's not, sure. um, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I think Western audiences in general just are not action literate. You know, they, they, they either like it as a form of entertainment, right. And they're, they're looking for the coolest kill, which I think there's an argument to be made that that sort of exists in John Wick. Well, I would, right. I would agree with you, but I mean, um, I think majority of people aren't really. Well, and then I think it. there's the other side of it where they like, it's the same thing that happens in scripts and you've seen it too, where they, where you come up on a fight scene and it says they fight period. And then they move yeah. on, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, like critics I've seen do this a lot where they'll watch an action movie and you can tell the second two people start fighting, their brain shuts off, right? They just zone out during the whole thing. Yeah. They're not watching for anything. They're not trying to see if this fight scene has character behind it, right? Yeah. And due um, to the profession, uh, that's their problem. They should be paying attention. But if that happened to an average audience member, I almost wouldn't blame them because, you know, the majority of movies made that have action in them, you know, no matter where they come from. I even was watching some Russian action movie uh a couple of weeks ago and you just turn your brain off to a certain degree. If it's just the standard shit of like CG explosions, you well, know, I think when and you go to proven itself, before right, it. right. Well, I think when you go to any extent of, um, right, right. Well, they've been, they've been, uh, they've been conditioned, right. By, exactly. by transformers, by, uh, the, but Hey, Hey, the, transformers is good. Don't knock the master. Michael Bay. <laughs> master well, film, but tra- transformers is a perfect example of mindless action. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the better example of it though. I would um, say the people imitating Michael Bay, they get paid to try to be oh, Michael sure, Bay or sure. the big perpetrators. Yeah. Well, uh, and, but and, I got to inter- I got to interject and say, yeah, we're spending almost 10 minutes on this one movie and we got to try to finish this up in the next 30 minutes here. So we sure. should probably move on. Um, um, what was your number nine? My number nine, and we'll try to keep these a little shorter going forward, is Joker. Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I like, I love the Joker villain. I am a fanboy of the Joker mythos, you know, that starts with Jack Nicholson. I watched that a bunch when I was a kid. And then, of course, Heath Ledger took his go at it. And I still think that's the legendary one. Jared Leto, I didn't like it. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of Joaquin Phoenix's character. Um, I like what they did. You know, I feel like they could have done so many different things in my head that could have been like fantastic, great. But yeah. at the end of the day, I'm not upset with what they did. And we've I talked say about this the trailer. Already. We yeah, we've yeah. talked about this. But the trailer, they had a trailer with a different set of music. They gave us sort of a different tone and feeling to it. And I was sort of hoping for that movie. And then the movie right. we got was ultimately a little. Uh, a little underwhelming compared to that. But overall, I got to say, I really liked it. I liked the homage to Taxi Driver and a lot of those sort of like 70s era films about uh, 
people that are highly alienated and they're sort of boiling over and they finally explode, you know? Right. Um, and I, I think, I think the cr- criticism that I've had for it was just that. So Joker's not in my top 10. Okay. Um, but the criticism that I had for that film was that like kind of going along with what you're saying where it, it, uh, didn't amount to what the trailer presented it to be. But I think what the trailer presented it to be was that we were about to see like a descent into madness. Right. Yeah. And, um, and we were about to see someone become the Joker. Right. And I think yeah. what we saw was someone become a like psychopathic antihero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. And, and he didn't really embody a superhero villain. He, he never you know? crossed the line. Right. Yeah. And like, I think the, 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 my favorite part was the subway scene, right? Where he, those guys were beating him up. He pulls out a gun, blows one of their heads off. You know, the other guy backs up. He kills him. The subway stops. Other guy gets off, runs away. And he, this was my favorite part. Was when he was down. like, when he was chasing this guy down that was trying to run away. Right. Because I, I, for me, I thought that this was the point, right? This is the point where he's crossing he the line, right? <laughs> because the other, they were trying to beat him up. Yes. Right. He stopped them from beating, beating him up. And one of them is running away and he's hunting him down now. Right. Now it's, now he's crossing the line. Right. Yeah. And so he crossed that line and then he just kind of, he never really crossed it again. Right. Like every, everything was, everything was about him and people in relation to him. There was no one that like, it's funny because they try to build it up again with his whole relationship with uh, the Waynes and like, you see my father. And it's like, aren't you already sort of insane now, you know? So that is an issue. I got to say that scene after he kills the the people in the subway, that infamous, uh, dancing in the bathroom scene with that great soundtrack yeah great music like that was the best song in the whole thing was really good um, yeah yeah i thought so too. but yeah. uh my favorite scene has got to be the the climax which is the talk show scene i really like that there's so many quotable lines and that you know like sure you know they're they're riding in the street so you think this is funny you're laughing you're laughing you know yeah i do i i think it's funny and i'm tired of pretending it's not you know like it's yeah. there's so many so they do a really good job, but like you said, I think we both sort of agree the the big letdown is like he's not a supervillain; he's just a crazy guy, and uh, so they, you know, he, well, they don't I mean, capture the mythos of the Joker. Right, it's and, just more like really what I was saying, which is like those seventy era movies, like uh, Rolling Thunder or Taxi Driver, about people sure. that sort of finally break, you know, mentally, and then they do something, whether it's sort of being an anti-hero or a straight up bad guy, but well, and they got the okay for the rated R, you know, and I think that they should have just gone Used for it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I wanted him to cross that line, right. To become that yeah. chaotic person. And, and they like, could take a while. I don't yeah, mind exactly. having a slow boil, like, like the revenge film, man on fire. Like that takes like an hour. Right. Until like the actual incident happens that sets off the revenge for the next hour and a half, you know, but, and I think there should have been a so. moment at which like I, I think a jo- a good Joker film has a moment where the the Joker finally loses the audience, right? Um, probably. And I, I think I think they were probably afraid to do that. I think they were afraid to lose the audience, right? So like they had to justify each killing, right? And my my and then they sort of that, bitched out at the very end of like, was it all in his head? Was it just right, a joke right. that he's giggling about? And right. it's like, and that doesn't get good. Right, that that's such a weak ending, but know? and but yeah, it was really good and really enjoyable ultimately. And 
I, I got to say, I really like performance and Joaquin Phoenix deserved his Academy Award. No, he did. And, that was uh, my my favorite parts of the movie were the acting and the cinematography. And I think, yeah, I think what so with our whole like system where we give things stars for doing incredibly like I think yeah. even though I wouldn't say that I actually like this movie, I would give it a star for um, acting. Well, here's what here's how you fix this movie. It's just the guy that you just don't call it Joker. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. That's how you fix the movie. That's literally the issue with the movie is that it's called Joker. That's, yeah. you know, so anyways, you should it, do it, number eight now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so go ahead and give me your number eight. <laughs> so mine was actually it chapter two. Okay. Yeah. I loved this movie so much and I don't think, I think a lot of people hated this movie. Um, But I think I really loved this portrayal of it chapter one and two, you know, and I liked doing it in this way where you kind of took this story that was uh, linked up and then presented it in chronological order. And I think that's the kind of spin that a lot of um, a lot of directors should put on films to like kind of give it their own flair while also not trampling all over the original source material. Sure. You know, and um i don't know i i this this these films have a really simple insight and i think it's actually i would also argue that this is another preteen movie even though it's not not preteen sorry this is another like young adult movie. why yeah right um because even though it's like gory and scary and like it's a horror movie like you know the insight is fairly simple Right. It's something that will help you through your adult life. Right. And. uh, Yeah, no, I just thought it was really well made, like all of it fit perfectly. Um, I have it as number 36 on my list. That's fine. 53. (laughs) And also a quick thing about it is I really like the first one. I am a huge fan of the first one. And. My my thing is like number one, it is that fairy tale horror. You know, I have a way of sort of separating in my head uh, horror movies in two distinct areas. One is like a fairy tale horror, which is definitely more of a YA oriented horror more of the time. Like yeah. a lot of Del Toro horror movies are this way. Pan's Labyrinth, perfect example. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, so that's fine, but the first one is genuinely more horrifying than the second one. Yeah, and that that so, but I can't. I just got to say, I can't really. I could I could attempt to talk about it and I'd have some things, but it's just one of those films where it's even more so that way than something like Midsummer or Hereditary for me, where it's just like I really can't talk about it that much just because I just don't like it. I okay. just generally don't like it, and I don't I don't have like I can't I don't have the the investment to spend in trying to pinpoint why I don't really like it that much. But yeah, well, like I, mean, I said, it, it has to do with the fact that compared to the first one, it was a little bit of a letdown for me. I, I saw them as a continuous work. Um, like I didn't really see it as a part one, part two thing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like if they could have released a five hour movie, they would have, <laughs> you know, um, but they, they didn't. should do some um, sort of like, um, uh, Blu-ray release, you know, like where it's just like it's a continuous like, film. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. With um, like an overture in the middle. Right. Overture. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, but I, I really like, uh, the way that they use memory in this, you know, um, and h- how, uh, how that's kind of linked with the horror, 
Um, yeah. Because I, I only really see that in like uh, very dramatic art films usually where you have horror that's linked to um, linked to memory and like fades as it gets foggier, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, it was an interesting component of it. them having to re-remember. Right. Re-believe. Um, but the, uh, I, I kind of forget what the exact wording for the inside is at the end, but uh, it was something about fear, obviously. Fear and yeah. friendship, you know. No, I no. I, th- I think it had more to do with uh what was it? Well, like their friend the way- would kill himself because he was too afraid, you know. Right, right. No, but it it was more about uh, how, like, what was it? How did they beat him at the end? They like laughed at him, right? They didn't believe in him anymore. Right, right. They didn't believe in. They family. literally stared right. at him once yeah. again, you know, because I'm <laughs> I'm going to be mean about it because <laughs> I can't be reasonable about it because I don't like it. But it's just like, oh, I'm just going to look at you and be like, try to express my face, the fact that I don't believe in you anymore, and you will shrivel. You know, it's just like. <laughs> but I think that's there's <laughs> something like powerful to that, and I think it's. I know, but they just didn't pull it off for me. That's all I'm saying. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah. Um, I personally think they did pull it off, but I think it was because I also watched the first one right before I went into this one. That's cool, right? Um, you might have had a little bit of a a boost then because of that, right? Um, and and personally, I would not, I wouldn't rate this movie separately from the first one. Interesting. Um, like if I did that, I feel like this would be obviously inferior and almost wouldn't make sense because this needs the first one to make sense. Yeah. I should right. try that. I should try watching both of them again. Uh, yeah. Watch it like, back to back. Yeah. T- well, you know what I do with Jeremiah, right? what I do with Jeremiah is we're trying to like watch franchises now whenever we're together. Sure. So we are like right now we're on uh Friday the 13th. And so we're just watching through all those movies. So eventually we should just do it. And then whenever we come to these new ones, we should just watch both of them back to back. Yeah. It's an easy one too. Cause it's only uh, two movies. You know, it's not yeah. like Lord of the Rings exactly. or anything. <laughs> No. Um, All right. Well, yeah. I will uh, go for my number eight. This is one of the ones you haven't seen. It was The Irishman with oh, cool. uh, Martin Scorsese. I I really liked it. I really liked it. Martin Scorsese is one of those directors. What, speaking about Quentin Tarantino earlier, he does have a correct point in that for whatever reason, and we could talk about this forever, so we don't have to go on about it, but yeah. directors do seem to um, uh, age poorly. They really do. After okay. they start going into their 70s, like they're uh, the majority of them, their quality drops. It's a, it's definitely true. But Scorsese is the exception that proves the rule. Miyazaki is just an exception. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also you can name so many people that, like Coppola or even De Palma, that are the rule. You, you know, know, I actually have sad. a theory about that. Um, I think that, I I think that it actually all has to do with ego. And um, by the way, the motto I of my production company too. The motto of my production company, sorry, I just hit my mic, but um, the motto of my production company is that ego is the death of art, right? Sure. Um, and like what I think it is, is, you know, as you get older, your, you know, your brain function goes down, you know, you're not able to do anything as well as you were able to before, right? Yeah. And the way that I see it is that you almost have to create a structure for yourself and how you work uh, because you're not going to be able to rediscover it again when you're old right if you're just kind of doing things willy-nilly on the fly right sure um essentially what'll happen is you'll you won't be able to do that as well anymore by the time you're you know 70 yeah. right and then um 
the only thing that'll be left is whatever sort of structure you've created for yourself and your ego, you know? (laughs) And I think, uh, directors that had, have a big enough ego to where they don't create the structure for how they like to make their own films, you know? Um, and I don't, I don't mean like plot structure. I mean, like the way that you, the, the, the castle that you build in your mind for how to, like how to create a film. Sure. Um, I think that's such an important thing to do by the time you're that age and the directors that have successfully done that, I feel like don't, don't, well, they're masters, right? Any director that has made it to that old and is still making great films are masters. You know, they obviously have a system, right? You know, uh, uh, that is, you know, so vastly superior, the real, the fruits of actually doing it correctly your entire life you know what i mean right and this but i completely agree back with the irishman right yeah yeah and the irishman says- is about an epic it's a guy's life from his 20s to his death and uh it's a great mob movie and obviously scorsese's name is right up there in terms of defining the mob genre especially the italian and irish mobs oh yeah so there's really not much more to say about it i will say the number one issue of the movie is it is long uh, Scorsese makes longs movies and sometimes you know like Wolf of Wall Street it's like three hours long but it doesn't feel that way this movie did feel a little long and that's just my one issue with it it doesn't have to be short for me but I just don't want it to feel long you don't want it to drag um, exactly yeah it, like uh, this is rhythm that element of filmmaking I call it rhythm but that element of filmmaking that relates to time yeah. and that's the, my major issue with this and that's about it it's really cool to see what they were able to do with the rejuvenation of the faces with CGI and you can't tell. You can't tell. I mean, That's awesome. um, they can only do so much, obviously, because when Robert De Niro is acting like he's 20 in his late 20s or mid 20s, he still looks like he's probably in his early 40s. But, you yeah. know, he looks like he's in his early 40s as opposed to being the really old man that he is. Yeah, so yeah. it's really cool. And there's not, you know, there's not a lot to say um, about it. I mean, it's just really cool. It's a real cool epic piece of American history in terms of relating to all these figures that were sort of the underground uh, uh, important components of so much U.S. history, like uh, our attempted invasion of Cuba and our assassination of um, JFK and so on. So it's cool to see that. And uh, I think I'll just leave it there because we should uh, hurry it up. But go ahead and go to number seven. Uh, Easy one for me. Mine's uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So we can just skip that. that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was your number seven? Mine was The Lighthouse. Oh, cool. That's this, what, That's one of the ones I really wanted to watch. Yeah, we didn't mention that earlier. But yeah. That is definitely one of them. Uh, this is one of those films that I ended it, and I was like, that was great. That was really a good movie. That's probably going to be one of the best movies I've seen this year. But yeah. I hadn't. I didn't rate it this high. Coming back to this list over the year, yeah. I kept pulling it higher and higher and closer and closer to the that's top. Cool. And main reason is because it's one of those movies that sticks in your head. And I love movies like that. For example, Lars von Trier, his movies do that to me. They stick in my fucking head after yeah, I yeah. watch them. And uh, there's so many scenes and moments in this that uh, just like visually are astounding, but they also come back and stick in your head like conversations. And the fact that they had like sailor English as well. Like you almost <laughs> feel like they're talking Shakespearean yeah. for a while, but they're like, no, they're just like really, they're just like, really crude form of sailor english right uh but i feel like this is one of those movies similar to 
what uh, we attempted to do and we will attempt to do again in the future. Uh, we have a secret episode of The Enemy that you'll never hear because we're going to redo it in the future. But <laughs> it's definitely one of those movies that I feel like is going to require uh, a few more watches for me before I feel comfortable even attempting to explain the meaning sure, of it. Of course, yeah. It's so, it is, it is you know, it's once again a film that makes heavy use of symbol. I don't know if you want to call it surreal or some other thing, but it's really interesting. And he he's the guy who did, uh, what was that other film he did? Because he has this unique filmmaking style. Uh, uh, his name is Robert Eggers. And he's sort of making these sort of modern day almost fairy tales or like folklore in terms of film. He did The Witch. The Witch oh, spelled cool. with two Bs. Yeah. So I'm just really encouraged. The cool, really good black and white, astounding cinematography. I'm trying to look at the cinematographer. And I love Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. They're really fucking good. And as a two-man show, they do it so fucking well. There's so many weird things, masturbating to lighthouse bulbs, you know, and (laughs) surviving storms and having weird erotic encounters with mermaids. It's it's all over the place. And, uh, uh, you know, whether or not you want to interpret it as, oh, this guy really hasn't done that much other than the witch, the Jaron Blaschk for the cinematographer. But um, there's so many different elements and ways you could try to interpret it. Uh, that's why I'm just not even comfortable attempting it, but it's sure. stuck in my head and it's definitely something that I'm going to be rewatching several times in the future uh, to figure out. And it's definitely one of those films that I could see being inspiration for something or inspiration for a lot of things for other people as well in the future. I feel like it's going to make its mark. Cool. Um, I definitely want to watch it. Yeah, you should. Yeah. All right. Go ahead and give us your number six. My number six was yesterday. Uh, oh, the Beatles that? movie. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't see it. That's one of the ones I wanted to watch. It was very good. Um, So, you know, that's weird because I've heard bad things and good things about it. It seems like it's it's polarizing. It's super wholesome. It's it's a very wholesome movie. And I think that, like, a lot of people that are overly cynical um, will hate this movie a lot. (laughs) You know? um, We're definitely in a cynical era, too. It's, I would say that it's, it's another young adult movie. You know, simple insight, just you know warm uh just nice story about um it's actually about ego right um but i I won't talk about it too much because i don't think there's a lot um to talk about with this film other than you know i think it was acted well uh it was really fun um there's a lot of there's a lot of standard stuff i actually don't know it's Um, the guy it's like it's like Boyle or something um danny boyle this is danny boyle yeah he's great um but you know it's just a heartwarming movie and it's i I would put it in the same vein as like any disney or pixar movie that you've seen you know um yeah and it was just just live action you know (laughs) i should Um, fucking watch it it was really good um sweet cool what was your number six Number six uh, was this dark humor, this dark comedy called The Art of Self-Defense. Oh, uh, I totally forgot you have about that to watch movie. It. I love it so much. Dude, it's so fucking good. Yeah. It's so fucking good. I've seen it probably, I think, three times now. Yeah. And I'm still laughing. The jokes are so good and they're delivered amazing. <laughs> do, you know what it to- um, do you know what it totally reminds me of? Um, have you seen Burn After Reading? Yeah. Yeah. The it, Coen Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> it does feel like that, doesn't it? Yep. Um. The guy that plays, uh, of course, uh, Morgan Potts and Jesse Eisenberg, if that's how you say her name, it's yeah. a Morgan, right? I but anyways, so. 
they're great, but the guy who plays the fucking trainer is so good. Oh yeah. Uh Alessandro Nivola. He's so good and he delivers his lines so well. It's hilarious, but it's also a very simple story of a man of a guy becoming his own man finally. Actually right. becoming masculine and not <laughs> under anyone else's rules, you know, the, the comical right. roles of his uh psychopathic teacher. But um <laughs> it's so funny and it's so perfectly it's got perfect rhythm. It's the perfect time. You know, there's not a wasted minute. It's an I, hour and four minutes. Yeah. So I totally so fucking I totally forgot that was uh I totally forgot that was in 2019. I went that, to see this on a fucking whim and I fucking loved yeah. it. And the audience was laughing. I love watching comedies with audiences because you can get a real a real laugh track, right? <laughs> yeah. A real one. And this um, one was earning laughs time yeah. and time again. It was yeah. like making the audience explode. And That's great. It had great twists as well, things you didn't see coming. And I normally see shit coming. I yeah. see shit coming all the fucking time, you know. Um, but that's actually a really just, good segue into my number five, by the way. Go um, for it. If you want to. Actually, do, oh, um, yeah, you already gave me number six. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I actually want to. Oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah, go ahead. Hold on. Uh, one second. I just closed it down. I wanted to pull it up real fast. Um, uh, but relating to the art of self defense oh, sure. before we move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guy who did it, I haven't seen anything he's done beforehand, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to give his, him a shout out because this is a name that I feel like people need to remember because it was so well done. I can't believe this guy won't do anything good in the future. But yeah. It's Riley Stearns. Um, and so that's that's all I wanted to do. Yeah, so we should keep a lookout for him. Yeah. Um, but actually, so now I kind of want to preface this. My one through five are my real one through five. I only, I only really got around because because of a uh, production and post production for a different film. I only got around to seeing maybe like fifteen to sixteen movies last year. Sure. Um, okay. So my top five is truly the films that I thought should be up here, though. Okay. Um, so from here, what I'm saying is I'm getting serious now. These are, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so at my number five spot, I have Knives Out. Okay. Um, I fucking loved this movie, and I don't actually. I enjoyed that movie. I actually yeah. don't want to talk about it too much because I think that um, the way that this movie manages audience expe- expectation is one of the best things about the film. Right. Okay. Um, and I think uh, it's funny because like uh, Ryan Johnson, the guy who made uh, Last Jedi, and like one of the big complaints that a lot of the people who didn't like that movie had subverting about expectations. it, right, was about subverting <laughs> expectations and like what a good way to turn that criticism into a strength. Right. Once again, about Um, (laughs) once again, another example about how thinking about filmmaking in the, in the structure of films and systematizing your thought about film actually generates ideas about film. Right. Exactly. So, um, and this is just, uh, your classic murder mystery, you know, and (laughs) it's, it's basically clue the movie, right. But it's, it's done so well and it, the whole idea behind it is that it's this mystery movie that subverts your expectations. Right. Um, that's why I really don't want to talk about anything with the plot because like, if you haven't seen it, it's one of those things that, uh, like, I know we gave that spoiler warning, but it, it, sure. it's, you want to respect people's watch. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is one of those movies where I, I don't really think like it might be good for one rewatch, but it's really about that first viewing. Yeah. Right. Um, I could see that. Yeah, it's it's just my a, quick thing about it is sure. it's in my top 25 films of the year and yeah. my top 25 are the films for sure that I would say are good films that I yeah. enjoyed watching. So yeah. watch it. 
Yeah, I have it sure. as number 24. So cool. So what's your number five? Uh, another film that a lot of people may not have heard of or even watched, but I thought was an amazing genre film that just gripped me and I'm going to rewatch it, but it's called Ready or Not. Um, and it had a team of duo directors, uh, Matt uh, was that Bettinelli a horror Olpen and Tyler Gillette. And it is a horror movie, but it's uh, it's like a thriller horror. It's toned down. It's like a thriller horror comedy. I wanted to watch that. That was on, that was, I, I saw the trailer for that and I thought it was interesting. Um, yeah, it was incredibly good. And the genre, the sort of horror thriller uh, comedy, it hit all the correct notes. And it was also a mystery. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. But it hit all the correct notes for the genre in terms of making it a little, oh, you know, yeah. a little scary <laughs> at moments, but not too scary because it's not really horrifying. Sure. But also the, it made you laugh. And it also, you know, there was that mystery element of what, figuring out who's behind what and what's going to happen. But, you know, the general idea of the movie is um, a, this couple gets married and she doesn't have a family, the bride. But the groom has this really uh, sort of a clingy, very in-group family that's very involved in each other's lives. And they have like a, a, um, a dynasty where they own a game company that makes these game boards. Yeah. And so the wedding night, they have to play a game. Uh, wow. and they have to, this is their tradition. And what happens is they, they choose the game by like, uh, spinning this dial and it happens to land on the worst option available. <laughs> and the worst option is they have to play ready or not. And if they don't find her and kill her, um, before the sun rises at like 6am or something, yeah. then the deal they made with the devil centuries ago means that they'll all die. Oh. So <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> the great thing about this movie is it's one of those examples of how genre films, genre films, once again, they're almost similar to children's movies, even though they can be more complex than children's movies, but in the sense that their messages are more simple. Because I was talking to someone about how I really loved how this movie had this amazing message and like uh, uh, so, uh, commentary on modern day America. And, and he was like, what? This is like a genre movie. I'm like, yeah, but it's like a genre movie in the same sense that like, uh, uh, you know, they live is, or sure. those great, those great, you know, uh, zombie movies about how American society is materialistic or, you know, communist uh, uh, subversion or things like that. You know what I mean? Right. And this movie is essentially about like the, the sickness and the, in America's elite, essentially. It's like right. a commentary on how these sort of like really nepotistic families that have been on top of America for, you know, centuries mm-hmm. and just sort of how sick and twisted they are. But it, it does it with comedy and in genre again. Awesome. You know, it doesn't get it's not like eyes wide shut, you know, by sure. Kubrick yeah. that's <laughs> really trying to examine that. It's it's more it's levity and it's light and yet it does it so well. Right. And uh, I just loved it. And so that's why it gets my fifth spot and I think it's a great genre movie. Awesome. And uh I'll have to go see that. So you should definitely watch it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, number four. Yeah, go for it uh okay so this one was 1917 for me oh shit my number four is 1917 awesome <laughs> we finally matched oh, this movie was so beautiful yeah. um and uh, roger deakins man yeah i think he's my favorite oh yeah no i think he's my favorite cinematographer for sure but um i think this this one made sense with why it chose to do what it did. Right. Um, 
plot wise, I guess, right? Because uh, it, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a lot like Birdman in that uh, the entire movie is one shot or, you yeah. know, is, it looks like one shot. Um, there's no cuts in the film um, that are not hidden. Uh, I, I guess 1917 does have the uh, t- passage of time sped up at one point. Uh, I guess Birdman does too. Yeah. And they have hidden cuts, yeah. but you know, it's essentially one shot. You will never see an actual cut. Right. So, um, but it just covers the journey of these two, uh, these two men uh, who are tasked with bringing a message to stop an assault. And it's because it's going to be a death trap. And right. And this movie, and I actually don't want to give it. Actually, you know what? Screw it. We're going to give it with a, give away the twist. And what I love about this movie is that it has a twist at the end. And it it's uh it's not a plot twist, it's an emotional twist, right? Where um you essentially uh find out that this character that we've been following, who we're kind of led to believe is this very like cold and calculated individual, right? Um who like doesn't have anyone who's kind of uh uh like outcast in society almost, right? um is like a father who has a family and is just a normal person and like (laughs) you know that moment at the end is just so powerful because it 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 almost just like creates a tidal wave over the rest of the movie um like the recollection your recollection of the rest of the movie right yeah you retrace some of those moments like the moment where there's that woman in hiding underneath exactly the the rubble of the city and he's helping her and he's giving food for her and her baby right and um, stuff like that. It's an amazing fucking movie. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's just, it's insane how they do it and how you feel. You feel like you're there with him. Yeah. And just the experience. Cause I watched, um, uh, they won't grow old or whatever it was called. Peter Jackson's, uh, documentary where they revamped and did a 3d, like 4k restoration on like world war one footage. Yeah. And they, they turned it into a documentary with only the, uh, only using voiceover from actual world war one British veterans. Yeah. And, uh, it was really amazing. And I feel like this is the complimentary piece to that documentary in the sense that like you get to hear in the documentary, their own words and see actual footage of it. And then this is like so faithful to what you see in that documentary. You really experienced like the horror of trench warfare. Um, well, and what I want in the first world war, what I want to point out is I think, the reason that this movie is so high, like is number four for me is just because um, like this move, this move of the um, illusion of the single shot. Right. Yeah. Um, it has a very distinct pur- purpose here. And I, I kind of think of it as like a rubber band. Right. And the rubber band is stretching throughout the whole movie. And then you have that twist at the end and it snaps back. Right. Yeah. And you suddenly understand everything. Right. And the fact that it was all this like single shot almost lets you recall it um, easier. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like it didn't jump around it, and it, it didn't it almost eliminated the cinematography as a uh, as something you're aware of. Right. Yeah. Um, and by the end of the movie, you have this moment where it, you just have to revisit the entire film with new information. And I, I think this is one of the perfect examples of um, exposition being the climax of a film. Oh yeah. yeah. Right? Interesting. Um, 
and it was just done so well and um another movie that used like the subversion of expectation in a good way right sure um sure sam mendes man he's in recent years he's just been kicking it out of fucking park yeah honestly all the time but with skyfall and then this right now yeah i I mean he did revolutionary row and wrote i mean in uh jarhead and road to perdition but but he's definitely reached new heights with these last two films oh yeah Um, absolutely he's figured out like like the best directors in hollywood like nolan and villeneuve how to do the blockbuster you know in such a way right so it's crazy. I think we should move forward, though. Yeah. You want to give your number three? So my number I... three is Alita Battle Angel. And okay. this one is very high for me because um, I think it does something that is entirely new to the West. Um, and it's it's bringing uh, anime style to Western audiences in a way that's pal- palatable to them. Right? Yeah. And this is something that's been done unsuccessfully so many times before this film, right? And it's it's a film that's so well-conceived. And, you know, um, the thing that I like about it is that Robert Rodriguez almost made himself invisible throughout this. Because I think that um, what happens in this film is that there's a, uh, is that there's this almost like shift of style, right? And as like this movie is about a girl that was literally born yesterday. Right. And it's about her journey into becoming a true warrior. And um, truly what this film is about is the loss of innocence. Right. Mm. Um, And almost how that's a requirement from becoming like a true warrior. Right. Yeah. Um, And it's awesome because at the very beginning, it's it feels like a fucking teeny bopper. Right. It feels like Twilight. Sure. <laughs> um, there's like the the pretty boy. There's like the bright like colors and the standard cinematography The you know, giddy girl, you know, the whole nine yards, the, the absurd like promises, uh, you know, um, the <laughs> the kind of like overly uh, overly naive romance. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's um, a almost a YA girls romance novel to some degree. Right, right. Yeah. And it starts like this and then And there are moments that are like genuinely embarrassing, but they're supposed to be embarrassing. Exactly. Like when she's talking to that monster like, I will not stand silent <laughs> in the face of evil. And you're just like right. you almost want to cringe. Well, and you do cringe, to. and then the whole bar laughs yeah. at her, right? And like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was funny because I was reading critic reviews about how that speech was cringy, and I was like it was supposed to be (laughs) like you know when people like to say really profound things like try to say really profound things but just say something that's very obvious yeah you know yeah um that's how i felt like the critics were subreddit this This is deep i'm 13 years old (laughs) right Right. um that's how i felt like the critics were with this movie is they like their criticisms for it were criticisms about the character that were intentionally there Right. And if they had bothered to look up in the second half of the movie, they would see those like parts of her like fall away. And you you even see the whole style of of the cinematography and the editing change. Right. And it goes from being this like bright standard shot, um, you know, uh, colorful film to this very like they they hold on shots. They introduce film grain. Right. Um, 
like the colors darken, desaturate, and you get this, uh, and and the edits become slower, right? Where instead of just cutting around so much and um, staying on these wider shots, we're like cutting in, we're staying on people, we're like um, seeing the important parts finally, right? Yeah. And I was like, I was so blown away by the level of uh, detail in kind of the manipulation of style in this film that um and i watched this I, I think i watched this three or four times in theaters nice um but i think this is robert rodriguez's best movie and i don't know if that's wow. i don't know if that's because of because he's improved as a director or if this was just the perfect match for him in terms of content that's cool um but it was it was a match made in heaven man and like this was obviously there to set up, you know, a series. And I'm very yeah. excited to see. No, where this the deserves a sequel. It needs yeah. to get one. At least It'll one. It'll be a tragedy right. if it doesn't. Yeah. Well, it no. made the money. Everyone was expecting this to bomb in every single way. Oh, yeah. And then the audience gave it amazing scores and it made a shit ton of money. Yeah. And fuck the critics, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and, and it's, anyways. Yeah. It's it's just you you need to see this film. And um, one thing that I also want to say is that a lot of people didn't pick up on this, but her romantic interest isn't romantically interested in her, you know, and mm. he promises all these things to her, but his partner basically reveals about 70% through the movie that the only reason they were talking to her was to scrap her for parts. Right. Yeah. Um, and basically even at the end of the film, he's still obsessed with his own dream and his own um, future. And he doesn't see her as, this romantic interest, even though she's literally yeah. this like beautiful girl who's willing to give him everything. Right. Sure. And it, in this like cruel turn of fate, right. It's not, sorry, I shouldn't say cruel turn of fate, cruel turn of the guy who's controlling everything. Right. Sure. Edward <laughs> um, Norton. Right. He, <laughs> he waits till he <laughs> sees, he sees this like guy realize what's right in front of him. Right. Yeah. And then he kills him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah. Um and yeah. it's 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 such a well done movie and I think I think it's it very well highlights the weaknesses of American uh critic viewers, right? Um in that like they they can't watch something that is naive or cringy. Just critics in general. At man. all, right? Critics in they, general. They see yeah. it as an inherently bad thing rather than um like a lot of films are made of course out of like a lot of cringy and naive films are made by cringy and naive people who just don't understand the world but a film like this which uses that naivety in a way that's that pushes the story forward like that's an entirely different thing and the fact that they couldn't like differentiate between yeah. those things is really illuminating i think it is um well but anyways we shouldn't move on yeah what's your number three? uh so my number three, I'm pretty sure you have this place somewhere, so I think we should just reveal where you have it placed as well. Okay. And we'll talk about it. But my number three is Parasite. That's my number and two. <laughs> your number two. Yeah. So we'll just talk about it right now. Yeah. But uh, Parasite for me was an amazing movie. I was expecting it to be amazing when watching it. Yeah. I really like, uh, and I'm, I always get these names wrong, but it's Bong Joon-ho. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, he did uh, Snowpiercer. And... Snowpiercer is an amazing movie. It is. And I can't wait to get my hand on his director's cut. Because all yeah. I've seen is the one that's been cut up. And it's still amazing. By Harvey Weinstein, no less. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um... Um, but anyways, this sort of commentary on 
not only you know family dy- dynamics but also uh, class dynamics uh, in this sort of um, house, uh, this house of these rich people where they all sort of trick this rich family into hiring them <laughs> yeah. as these working class people that aren't a family and they don't know. You know and then they sort of you know what I loved about oh. this film is that it was yeah. like disparaging of the rich, but it was also disparaging of the poor. Yeah. You know, and like that's not something you see that often. Um Yeah. But uh, and it ends it ends in this in this amazing way of like showing how someone becomes the person that can have actual success, you know? Uh I, I actually I actually don't want to say how like say what it means because I don't know. I don't know yet. Oh like, no, I don't think that's the definitive sure. message. I'm just saying um, that there's that's there. You mean the um, whole like fantasy that that kid has in his head? Yeah, that he has at the very end. Like he actually has the fuel to do something good now rather than just being fucking around with his life like he has been see i had a totally different read of that i kind of felt like it was this uh this um absurd fantasy Um, (laughs) really yeah and like i I thought it was a genuine moment i think i felt it as a genuine moment Um, in the movie but i i felt like they were kind of the whole idea was they were like it was it was just this uh like this plan right this this uh well i feel like he what happened is the father he he in that moment he took the path that his father never took and that the guy in the basement originally never took okay which is they they came they came over time in their life to that anger and that jealousy and that envy whereas in that moment he gets the fuel uh to never fall back into that cycle i i hope you're right because i felt like the ending was very uh dark <laughs> <laughs> um i mean the ending of the movie the climax of the movie you should no say, no the ending where, where they well, end i remember the... when uh, he uh he after killing someone he falls on the ground and he's like respect <laughs> you know like i uh, love that, that part but, uh, well no uh, so so my take on the ending was that like you know they were presenting it like that was what was happening you know and they cut back mm-hmm. and he's like just daydreaming about it and yeah. um and it cuts back to the same like dirty socks and the same gross street, and it's yeah. But it's, he's gonna make his way out. Maybe, that's the, maybe. That's the like I, but also like I was thinking that maybe it meant like that, uh, like that. It it was all still just a fantasy, um, just like everything they had done up to this point. Well, you know, let's not. I um, feel like this is a, mo- a movie. We, that should we should probably do an yeah, episode. We do an episode. Um, so let's but, just leave it there actually, and say you got to watch go, this. Though, this is Academy. This swept the Academy Awards. Yeah. Before we and leave this. not only that, we got to do Snowpiercer episode as well. Yes. But we should try to watch his actual cut. Before we do that, though, um, I want to say yeah. my favorite scene in this film is uh, the one where like their house gets flooded by the sewer water, and their whole street gets flooded by the sewer water, and they're like oh, they yeah. spend the whole night like dealing with like shit water and like just it's it's this disgusting scene right and mm-hmm. uh and the next day he's driving <laughs> uh he's driving the rich guy right that he's supposed to drive and the rich guy's just talking about how it's like a shame that this rain's coming in because it ruined their picnic you know yeah or whatever whatever they're going to do outside you know like <laughs> and it was yeah. just this this oh man uh, right, right up there for me with uh, that scene in uh, in uh, uh, what's that movie? The drummer. Why can't I remember the name? Oh, uh, Whiplash. Whiplash. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's right up there in Whiplash with the uh, the one jock father, like making that point about how like you know music is uh, not as competitive as uh, his 
his kids like football careers his kids like sure. grade b college football careers and he's like using that asparagus to make his point and it's flopping around <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> like i just yeah, love absolutely. that kind of image. and he's just so ignorant about right, it right. takes to be a musician <laughs> Um, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. And I, I gotta say my, I love the sequence where they find the people yeah. underground because that adds that additional layer because yeah. without that additional layer of the idea that there's this, that the, there's the, people that are worse the woman off they than replaced. Yeah. Exactly. The woman <laughs> they replaced had a family that hidden under there. Right. And the thing is like the rich people actually, even with that scene, they're like the least despicable people out of the entire movie it's just like they're so unaware well, well i think what, it was like i think makes the, them so one of the big points of the movie is that there was like this almost opportunity to be good for them right yeah um where for everyone else that opportunity didn't even exist um yeah. anyways um we'll we'll do a we whole episode on. on that movie at some point it's really good yeah and we'll break it down. we gotta do a lot of his movies for sure yeah uh, so that was your number two. So, and you already gave your number three, yep. which was by Angelita. So I guess I'll give my number two, Okay. which is uncut gems. Sweet. I, I want it to watch that so, so good. So I'll refrain from spoilers then, but yeah. the heartbeat that your heart reaches watching this movie is insane. The suspense and tension that they're able to attain is masterful. Like if you, this is the movie now that I will come to whenever in the future I need to study again how to build suspense and tension and excitement and just hold people on the edge of their seat the entire movie. It's just insane how they do it. Um, I love the the visual style. I love the soundtrack. I love Adam Sandler so underrated. He, he blew it out of the park. Um, it's just so good. And I don't want to ruin it for you. So I won't mention any particular okay. scenes or anything, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'll really I'm sure, there, I'm sure but... we'll do an episode on it once I, oh yeah, we definitely yeah. should. So, um, yeah, cool. I mean, we'll leave it there. The Saldifi or Sadifi brothers, Sadifi yeah. or Safti. I don't really know how to pronounce their names. Okay. They've done some movies in the past that I really want to watch as well. Uh, like uh, good time and heaven knows what, uh, I feel like I would love those movies. They did one with Robert Pattinson. I think that's good time as well. Yeah. So I feel like they are definitely people to, if you didn't know about them, now's the time to know about them and start watching their films. Cool. Yeah. It's fantastic. This movie is really fantastic. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, yeah. So let's move on to number one. And it's also, uh, well, oh, it's also okay. a, a story and sort of uh, unlikable heroes. He's not an anti-hero, but He's so unlikable, but you get, you become to like him. You become to understand him through all of this towards cool. the end. Um, but anyways, yeah, we'll move on. And I think we might share number one. I think we do. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've already talked about it. Yep. So the king, yeah. it's the king. For me, this was, this was actually, um, for me, I, I talked about this during the episode that we did, but uh, this was a tie yeah. between how well it was made between Parasite for me and how much I liked it, which was a tie with Alita for me. And yeah. like it, like you said, it was a product of two ties. Therefore, it has to be number one. Yeah. Um, it's so hard to rank I mean, these movies, but <laughs> just watch our watch our episode. We don't have more to say about this necessarily. Yes. It's so good. Um, it's so good in fact we actually do have more to say about it we do we have so much well, more to say about we're gonna it. We're do, gonna do an one. entire other episode <laughs> yeah which yeah um so we're gonna revisit the king at some point um just be prepared for that it's a it's a film that you know we haven't really pinpoint what it's about yet but we will before the next episode um 
and we'll kind of do a deep dive analysis on it instead of kind of a surface level skate that we did the first time around. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very profound movie and it's a very lean movie too. This movie has it, it, no fat. It doesn't wander for a second, yeah. you know? And that's almost um, what I meant when I called it simple in right. the sense that it, it seems so unbelievable how they right, were able right. to pull it Well, off. it's, I, I think refined is the right word, right? Where this movie, this film has been refined to a point where it no longer has any excess on it. Yeah. And it's it's really good. It's a beautiful film. It's masterful in any in every department, right? Um, yeah, I, I think definitely takes the cake this year. Um, yeah, David Machan. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, cool. Well, that was our. That's it. <laughs> recap of two thousand nineteen. I had. Uh, I know, right? Yeah. I had all of these lists ready, like. Uh, user ratings of the best uh, imdb movies and then user ratings on uh, rotten tomato for the top user rated movies uh for 2019 top critic user rated movies 2019 <laughs> we could do an entire episode probably of just going over all these lists at some point if we wanted to you know but who probably cares won't. about who cares about all that i know that's- well that's a problem <laughs> that's why i wanted to do it so we could sort of tear into a good uh, sure sure you know. but honestly if you give us movies but to talk about we'll talk about holy them. shit we, we um, uh <laughs> i thought it was going to take us half an hour and it's almost been two hours yeah so no, I all right fun. I had fun. this was good guys uh we'll see you next week have a good one see you